Voice of San Diego podcasts are sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund, honoring the San Diego Harbor Police Foundation. This is a Voice of San Diego podcast. This is a Voice of San Diego podcast. Sponsored by the Bob Nelson Charitable Fund. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor-in-chief at the Voice of San Diego. I'm joined by assistant editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Hi, Scott. And managing editor Sarah Libby. Hello. Hello. Sarah, did you have your block of cheese and pickle juice for lunch? I did eat half a block of cheese, and then I was too full to eat the pickle juice, which I'll have later as a nice treat. Little little uh, cocktail. We have a great show today. It's all about mixed messages. This is the theme today. Mixed messages. For instance, the beaches were closed. Then they were open. Then they were going to close, but they didn't. You can't sit in parks. That was clear, except that you can sit in parks, which is also clear. Then there are hospitals, which are kind of empty. They're losing a ton of money and laying off staff and cutting others' hours. And we also have a story out of Encinitas, a, mis- a mixed message about homeless residents and their accommodations at a local ho- hotel. All that is coming up, but first we want to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who attended our first virtual member event. We've always done Member coffees, brews and news events, live podcasts. We hosted a happy hour this week, and it was fun. I, I very much enjoyed it. A lot of people said they could come that they wouldn't have uh, normally been able to because of whatever concerns they have about the schedule and the traffic, stuff like that. No, no traffic when you're just in your kitchen. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, uh, what our reporters were covering, had several co- reporters there uh, to answer questions. And it was just a nice opportunity to um, talk with everybody and get their questions Uh, Thanks again to everybody who made it. And if you want to become a member to get special access to some of these things we're doing, we're going to do a lot of these kinds of things this year. Events were always an important part of of, uh, my my life uh, and Voice of San Diego's offerings, and we're not going to stop. So go to bosd.org slash member. Again, that's bosd.org slash member. We had like 120 people there and a lot of questions. It uh, It was good discussion. All right, so we had this weird experience last week. The, the mayor opened parks, just the neighborhood parks, not like not like Mission Bay Park, but not Fiesta Island. But uh, some of the neighborhood parks were open. You could yeah, they put out signs saying you could hike, you could jog, and you could walk. And then they said active use though was not allowed, which gave us a lot of concerned that we didn't know what active meant, what the word active meant. Um, But then... Yeah, just to put a fine point on it, to me, walking, jogging, and hiking are all quite similar. Like, I, I don't... Of all the things I need special clarification about, those things I would be comfortable lumping together to begin with. Yeah. And they all—they're in fact about as active as you can get. (laughs) 
Yeah. Right. Like they're they're the function of human activity, really. <laughs> Sitting was not on their list of things that were allowed. And so Sarah deduced from that that sitting was not allowed. I deduced that sitting was allowed. Then a lot of people went to parks and cops and other people said, you can't sit. It's not on the sign. It's not allowed. And then on the Twitter, Sarah said it's not allowed. I said it is allowed. And then I said, oh, you're right. It's not allowed. And then the mayor's office chimed in and said, it is allowed. You can sit. And then a couple of days later, Supervisor Nathan Fletcher at the county said it this. Not to. Um, but there are countywide restrictions around parks that are in place to this day. Those countywide restrictions uh, relate to parking lots being closed, parks only available for passive activities. Um, you can walk, run, or bike, but you can't sit and stop. You can't play sports. You can't so passive activities like walking, running, and biking but not sitting, you can't sit. So I think we clarified that you can sit. Because it's all clear. <laughs> That's, uh, th that amount of information is, is all clear as day. It's, it's, it is funny that they decided that on the signs they needed to distinguish hiking, jogging, and walking as clearly separate things that people might wonder about. Like if it just had walking up there, they might be like, well, can I actually move my legs faster? Or at an incline. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, 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 you can. So they wanted to make sure that. But the thing that people do at parks often is sit. And that wasn't clarified. Not clarified. There was like somebody in the meeting who was just like, I, what if I want to put hiking boots on when I walk? Is that a separate class of activity? <laughs> we, should, we should distinguish that so that all the would-be hikers know that if they want to walk to the point that it might elevate their heart rate, that's also allowed. Right, right. So, uh, <laughs> and then this, this concept of passive, we did learn what they meant by passive. According to park nerds, there's a whole park lingo, uh, jargon of parkdom, where in parks, active use means like soccer games, birthday parties, you know, all these kinds of things. But they don't, it doesn't mean active use like walking. And that passive use means things you just do in a park, like walk around or whatever. And so we suggested politely that they maybe drop that. Maybe they know what they're talking about. But when they're talking to the public, maybe come up with other words that the public might understand. Well, the problem is that the public does understand those words. They're they're very simple, <laughs> clear words that we use often. <laughs> and they were using them to mean not in any way <laughs> what we understand them to mean. Yeah. I would I would combine with this the like pretty clear indication I've got that no one wanted to clarify when you had to wear masks and when you did not have to wear masks. Um, ever since it started being, we started being told that masks were mandatory. I've seen people on Twitter asking what mandatory mask usage means and not getting very many clear answers. Um, so Nathan Fletcher has also recently clarified that it means you have to wear a mask 
anytime you're in public, unless you're not going to be in a situation where you might come within six feet of somebody mm-hmm. else. I, I do understand what he's saying. I'm not actually trying to to, to ridicule that um, construction as much as it does. It seems like they want to say you have to wear a mask anytime you leave the house, but they don't want to actually say that. So they're coming up with relatively more convoluted ways of saying it. Yeah, and it's always in the name of like clearing things up that these like even weirder distinctions <laughs> yeah. that are hard to understand are like put out there. The masks to me make sense. They seem to me like a very clear actual even though they seem like a a a, a fear thing like we're we're getting worse we need to wear masks i think that they're the opposite i think they're being put as mandatory as part of an entire reopening strategy like i think they want to communicate that we are going to continue measures and this is one of the measures to allow us to interact with people a lot more as we ramp up the um economic activity that is allowed and so it but it is part of that mixed messages because they didn't really say that and so it's just it's just presented as like this is really bad. We need to actually go further to protect ourselves, but also we're reopening things. You know, it's like this. Uh, that's the theme of the day. I think the biggest issue that could be resolved is just lawyers. I love you. We got a lot of lawyers who listen to the show. You guys are great people. You 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 help a lot of people in this country. You need to stop being in charge of writing these <laughs> directives because, uh, like. Every time people, you can just imagine every time one of these pieces of guidance is coming forward, there's somebody there who's like, well, that's not quite right. Why don't you, and then they edit it the way a lawyer would edit it to be airtight, but by being airtight, it's no longer understandable by any layperson. Well, that, that was a similar situation came up. So the mayor and several local mayors advocated to open beach access so you could passively walk <laughs> actively on them uh, and you could go surf kayak and swim and paddleboard but you could not boat and a few other things basically you can't stop or as the governor said linger uh, on these areas and so uh, this happened a lot of people got back in the water surfed seems like it was more or less okay there was a couple areas of, of uh, a lot of heads in the water but um, there's no uh, sort of similar images as we saw in Orange County with um, people really crowded and actually just hanging out with their umbrellas and everything like a normal weekend on the beach. But then we heard on, I guess it was Wednesday night, there was a lot of breaking news that the governor was going to close all beaches because of those pictures he saw from Orange County. And then everybody was worried and freaking out about that i i tried to get one last surf in before that happened for uh, may 1st and then we all tried to get some clarity from the governor he comes out he announces that actually he's only going to close orange county's beaches as a targeted way to sort of contain this problem and make sure that uh that doesn't happen again but everybody else can have their access the way they wanted and then he really wanted to clarify why being outdoors was important. And he said this. Physical distancing. I uh, want you to see sunsets. And we want you to uh, enjoy, uh, again, 
activities outdoors. Uh, again, the only thing we don't want you to do is linger outdoors in ways where you're mixing or you're congregating or you're violating. Uh, so you can go to a sunset, but you can't stand there. So you have to time your enjoyment of the sunset in a way in which you know the exact second it will set and you're there for that <laughs> second and no other seconds. Yeah, you know that that classic image of somebody watching the sunset where they're highly active and moving in all kinds of different directions. Maybe there's like a slide. It's, Everybody could just like be six feet apart and like yeah. slide to the yeah. side. That's the, you know, that's primarily how I've always understood sunset appreciation is is like while getting a sweat in. We kid the governor, but look, this whole situation has had so many mixed messages. And I think next time we do a pandemic, maybe we can be a little bit more in lock with this communication. So it starts at the top, the federal government. You've got uh, Trump's administration put out very reasonable, very clear criteria that cities, states need to get to to reopen. And then that day, he's like, liberate. <laughs> uh, and then you have the governor's stay-at-home order, which needs a very large webpage to explain all the things that you can do when you don't stay at home, which is itself a very difficult concept to understand and, and opens up a lot of questions. And then you have the whole, you can sit, but you can't sit, whatever. Basically, we have this, everybody seems to understand, I think you put it well, when you can't do anything. But once you start allowing things, it gets weird. Yeah, I think it's just a symbol that we're like moving into the part of this that's actually much more difficult from a governing perspective, both implementing nuance and communicating nuance are much more difficult than where we were 40 days ago, where there works, I guess there were some exceptions, but broadly speaking, the directive was clear, stay in your house for the, for the foreseeable future. And so there's been some clever metaphors about how, well, it's not an off and on switch. It's a, uh, it's a dial that you can turn up and up and back. Um, but it, it turns out that communicating clearly um, what the different, different ticks on the dial mean is a lot harder than communicating. Hey, well, just there's also like two different layers of confusion that are at work here. There's like, confusion about what each individual you know jurisdictions rules actually are like the city didn't say you can sit and yet they're saying you can sit and then there's the fact that those rules all conflict with each other so the the parks you can sit in but the beaches you cannot and so even if they had said those things clearly those things are at odd as far as what you're actually allowed to do yeah and Somewhere above all of that is like the platonic ideal of what we should be doing, which is presumably unknowable, but we're, we have experts who are trying to get us to the best version of it. And so every once in a while, you'll see people who are doing something that is like within the rules, but they still get kind of yeah. shamed because it's like, well, you sh but you shouldn't be doing it. Even if it's allowed, even if they've changed the rules and you can do it. You, you should choose not to out of an abundance of caution or or responsibility, um, which 
further complicates matters. Yeah. Uh, there was, uh, there's, we had a good story up by Will Hunsbury about the county's own criteria, which come from the president's criteria about how to reopen, what the kinds of things you need to hit. We have a downward trajectory of actual COVID-19 cases. Hospitals are functioning, functioning normally. That was another criteria. They're not in crisis. Uh, in fact, as we're going to discuss, they're actually losing a lot of money with, uh, with the volume they're seeing of, of other patients. They're seeing a 14-day downward trend in COVID-19 uh, and flu-like symptoms. The only thing we need now is more testing, and we put a testing tracker on the website. Go to voiceofsandiego.org. You can see our average over the last seven days of tests and the capacity that we have heard from hospitals that they can be doing as far as testing. So we're trying to hold them accountable to get there because if that's our last piece of criteria to, to get there, well, let's let's see if we can get there. Um, and But that brings up that one. You know, all of this was in service of mitigating the trouble that the healthcare system would face. You know, uh, we were all and talking very intensely about the fear that these hospitals would be overwhelmed and that they would not be able to handle it. And there would be awful tents full of people and, and you know, decisions about who gets to live and die. And we wanted to avoid that. It appears that we have to the extent where also uh, hospitals are struggling. So UCSD's health center has lost more than $50 million just since March. Palomar Healthcare has seen revenue losses of up to $800,000 per day. We're hearing about doctors who are applying for federal aid. So counterintuitively, during this pandemic, we're seeing doctors, nurses, physician assistants, and others losing hours, sometimes their actual jobs, because the hospitals have turned down other cases, other elective cases. A lot of other people are avoiding the ERs when they might have gone there before. And basically, most non-COVID-19 activity has ceased, which is causing some huge financial problems. Great story by Jesse Marks and Maestro Christian. And our last sort of episode of Mixed Messages this week North County reporter Kayla Jimenez had a crazy story this week from Encinitas. So just like a lot of other cities, Encinitas, the city, responded to the governor's call to get homeless people off the streets and into hotel rooms so that they, A, can be protected from the pandemic and also so that they don't serve as major um, transmission sort of clusters of the virus. The city approved a plan to get 80 families into hotels. Then they cut it back and put 50 families back on the street last week. And the guy who was running the uh, nonprofit that was serving all of these families in this, he said, look, it's not necessarily the money that's the problem. I just don't think these families should be in hotels at all. Explain this uh, banana story, Sarah. So the story is kind of bananas in isolation, um, but maybe a little less so if you follow some of the bananas things that come out of Encinitas regularly, where often residents are pretty hostile to some of the most vulnerable residents. Um, but it is true that between the mayor and the CEO of this nonprofit community resource center that's servicing the hotels, they said really different things about why they were moving some of these homeless residents out onto the streets. The mayor did say, look, the city doesn't have the money to keep this up on their end. Um, and so she simply said, you know, this is a budget issue for us and the, the county and other agencies should step up to help. Um, but then the Community Resource Center CEO said, 
we actually have plenty of money. We're getting lots of money and support during this time. Um, he just doesn't want homeless people to become complacent and to stop searching for permanent housing. And again, even if you've been following some of the bananas things that come out of Encinitas, I regularly think I lose my capacity to be shocked, but I found this guy's um, rationale and some of his actual quotes to be very, very shocking. He said for- So who are we actually talking about? His name is John Van Cleef. And again, he's the CEO of Community Resource Center. Um, which is providing the services to these people in Encinitas while they're in the hotels. He said, you know, the, we're not revoking the vouchers. Um, and another way to think of the question is, well, are the things that these folks did or didn't do while they were hoteled to be in a permanent home? So he's essentially blaming these homeless people for, I suppose, not finding permanent housing during a pandemic. It, like I'm not here to litigate his perspective on the best way to address regional homelessness, but it does seem that, say, the last 40 days have been a relatively disruptive period for things like, I don't know, finding permanent living situations or acquiring gainful employment. Um, so I, I don't quite know what the version of events that would have pleased him to to make him believe that the the folks who've been in this temporary living situation um, did what they were supposed yeah, to Yeah, I mean, obviously, homelessness is a really, really tough, intractable problem always and in normal circumstances. So mm -hmm. it seems like he's suggesting that even in these crazy, not normal circumstances, they should have found a home in this limited window in which they were in a hotel. Yeah, I, I, I don't... I don't quite understand it. And so he's so the the situation as we've left it is there are now going to be fewer people housed in this program than had been. He said that, you know, they're going to use them the money that they've raised over the last month yeah. on other priorities like helping families that are on the brink of falling into homelessness as a result of job losses and things like that. And so he said, you know, we don't want to be creating more homeless people during this time and we're going to spend our money on the on those efforts well it's a fascinating story about that you know that we're watching really closely what happens at the convention center there's 1100 people living there right now um someday they'll have conventions there and so the city you know as we talked about with mayor kevin faulkner last week is going to have to decide what level of responsibility it has to make sure they have permanent places to live after this and we've been following closely that idea about whether they will be purchasing hotels themselves to manage to, to actually house some of them. We'll see if that actually comes to fruition. We have a, I, we have a minor update on that. The San Diego Housing Commission's budget is going before its board of directors on Friday. Uh, and seems to indicate that the uh, initial budgeted figure for those hotel acquisitions, uh, as, as well as uh, rental assistance for people in the converted hotel rooms, to be about $30 million this year. Wow. Okay. That's, it's, I can't, you know, if that's one of those news pieces that, had you told me a year ago, would be seriously considered by this mayor and council, I, I just, I don't think I would have even been able to wrap my mind around it. So fascinating development there. 
Also in your feed right now is my interview with an infrastructure and disaster expert, the chief of resilience for the city of New Orleans, my friend Ramsey Green. We released that as a bonus episode. So it's kind of a way to compare notes about how that city's handling all these same complicated questions compared to how we are handling it. Every day we get our numbers at noon. And today our numbers were were 27 new infections and 23 dead. Um, Every day at noon, we get those numbers. We have uh, around 340 of our residents have died since March, uh, March, I wanna say our first fatality was March 14th or 15th. Um, The second fatality was a personal friend of the mayor. I think that's a very compelling reason to take this seriously as opposed to choosing an arbitrary date to get an economy going again. So check that out in your feed now. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast. It's the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in our homes. That's not going to stop making me laugh. I love that. Uh, Someday we'll be back in the Great Voice San Diego podcast studio, but not for a while. Again, you can join our next virtual event by becoming a member. It's coming up in a few weeks. Join Voice of San Diego and support this podcast and all of our investigative and explanatory reporting at vosd.org slash member. That's vosd.org slash member. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief. Andrew Keats, Assistant Editor. Sarah Libby's Managing Editor. And this show was produced by Nate John. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week.